people of faith have the eyes of their hearts set on things that they do not receive in full in this life and in this world. The promises of God point us beyond this life and beyond this world to the life to come, to the world to come. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're continuing our series, So Great is Salvation. Today, taking a look at what it means to see with the eyes of faith. And Jonathan, if, if we need to look beyond this life, beyond this world, what is to come? What are we to look at or to look to? Well, it's wonderful here in Hebrews 11 when we look at the model of Abraham and his wife Sarah and how they were willing to go out as as pilgrims, as wanderers to a land that they didn't know much about, but God called them to go. And the writer gives us this wonderful kernel of insight. He says that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And one of the great treasures of faith that Hebrews gives us is this picture of a heavenly city that is our destination. God has is, God is prepared a place for us, eternal dwellings. We've got a homeland above, a homeland that is to come. And actually, if we're going to live in this world with all of the griefs and sorrows and the temptations and the attractions of this life that might divert our gaze, you know, earthward rather than heavenward, we need to have in our mind's eye a vision of that city that is to come, that is our true home. And Hebrews helps us so much with that to keep that fixed in our mind's eye. Well, let's go to Hebrews then. We are in chapter 11 as we begin a message today called Seeing with the Eyes of Faith. Here is Jonathan. Well, I think it's clear that basically all our plans for the foreseeable future need to be torn up, put on hold, canceled, revised. What we thought we knew about today or tomorrow or next week or next month, it turns out that we didn't know any of these things after all. We, we had plans. We had dreams. We, we, we had hopes. We put our confidence in certain things. And it turns out that our assurance of our plans and our knowledge of our future, much of it was entirely misplaced. Some of you joining us this morning, you could tell me precisely where it is you thought you would be this week, what you thought it is you would be doing. You had plans maybe to be on a, on a beach somewhere, plans to go and visit family members, plans maybe to start a new job, plans to get married. I know that's true for at least one couple in our number, plans for all kinds of things. It never occurred to us, did it, that our plans would not be fulfilled. But now here we are walking through a very, very different kind of reality, and we don't know even what tomorrow will bring all kinds of worldly plans and worldly projections for the future. They are simply unreliable. They are simply not trustworthy. We cannot see into the future to observe what will take place. We can't do that for the next hour, let alone the next days or weeks. But Hebrews wants to show us this morning that faith gives us another kind of sight, a different kind of insight into the days to come. Last week, we learned together Hebrews' great definition of faith back in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's 
faith, says Hebrews. And because God has told us a great deal about what is to come, because God has given us tremendous assurances in His Word, if we look into the future of which His Word speaks, and if we do that with the eyes of faith, we can see things. We can understand things. We can trust in things. Things that are real and true and substantial. The first readers of Hebrews, they needed to be helped to see with the eyes of faith in their day. We, we know that these believers had previously faced some real difficulty already in their Christian life. Back at the end of chapter 10, the writer reminded them of some hard days that they had faced in days gone by. They'd faced suffering, exposure to reproach and affliction. They'd faced the loss of property and possessions. And now it's quite clear that in the time of this letter, they are facing renewed trials. We've observed again and again how the writer pleads with these believers not to give up on following Jesus Christ. It's become pretty clear the kind of thing that's happening. These believers are evidently from a Jewish background, and they're facing pressure to return to the visible and the tangible and the familiar rites of Judaism at the synagogue or at the temple. And you can just imagine the types of things that their friends and family might be feeling and might be saying to them. Look, we've got our promises in the Word of God, in the Old Testament law, promises that if we come to the Levitical priests at the temple and offer the required animal sacrifices, everything's going to be okay with us. That's what God says. We're going to be spiritually safe if we do those things. But now you've gone and you've abandoned all that concrete religion given to us by God Himself, and you're entrusting yourself to an unseen priest on high and to a future hope that you cannot see. This is dangerous. This is reckless. Come back, please, to where there is spiritual safety. Back to the synagogue. Back to the temple. Added to that religious pressure, there's a wider social pressure as well. You see, Judaism was a legally permitted, officially tolerated religion in the Roman Empire. There was at least some safety in being part of the Jewish community. But being a Christian at this time, well, there was no legal space for that in the Roman Empire. That was a risky thing to be. The Romans had only fairly recently crucified the leader of that new sect, if you remember. And persecution, it was part of the early Christian experience. And so, facing all this pressure, what these early believers needed to learn was simply this. They needed to learn to see with the eyes of faith. They needed to look into the future through the glasses of the promises of God, through the spectacles of the Word of God, and they needed to trust that God's promises were true and real and substantial in our present age, in our present circumstances, to live through the times of change and uncertainty that we now face, you and I, we need the very same thing. And to help us do that, to encourage us to do that, Hebrews takes us again to some Old Testament models of faith, and he shows us from their witness and from their experience what it means to see with the eyes of faith. 
He shows us first that those who see with the eyes of faith, they seek God's homeland. Notice it again with me, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You may remember the story. God came to Abraham, or to Abram as he was known then. He came to him in Genesis 12, and he tapped him on the shoulder, as it were, and he said this, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God promised to bless Abram as he went. He committed to make him a, a blessing to the world. And we read in Genesis 12 and verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord has told him. Leave your home. Leave everything that's familiar, all that you've known. Leave your kindred. Leave your wider family. Go to a place of which you know nothing, a place that I'm going to show you in due course. And at the call of the Word of God, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they got up and they went. They don't have too much information or detail. But they trust the Lord enough to go and pack up their things, to leave their, their home behind, and to depart for a land that they know not. You know, these days when we plan trips, not that any of us are traveling just too much at the present time, but when we do, when we plan a trip, we go on TripAdvisor, or we go on Expedia, or whatever it is, and we do our research, don't we? We look at the pictures of the place. We get images of the food even in the restaurants or of the pool at the hotel, of the attractions, of the amusements, of the things to see and do. And before we've left our living room at home, we have a pretty clear picture of where it is that we are going. But Abraham and Sarah, they had none of that. This is a land that I'm going to show you, says the Lord. That's all they've got to go on. But for them, that is enough. And they pack up and they go. But, you know, interestingly, as we read the text here in Hebrews, the reason for going was not that they thought that this land of promise was going to be so great. No, their reason for going was actually because they were looking beyond this next stop in their journey. They were looking beyond all that to something even greater, something that they could only ever see with the eyes of faith. Notice it with me, verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For, and here's why he did it, verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. God gave Abraham the faith to believe that beyond their immediate destination in this physical land, there was an eternal homeland prepared for him. Beyond any city that might be built in Canaan, the Lord had prepared a greater city, a Zion above. And by giving him faith that God would not only provide a temporal home, but an eternal home, well, here's what God did. God set Abram free of concern for that former home. As the Lord gave to him the gift of faith, he loosened his grip on that earthly home, and he gave him a faith vision for that eternal home to come. And you know, actually, this perspective, this outlook, it is absolutely fundamental to authentic faith. This isn't some optional add-on for those who are 
particularly filled with faith, particularly spiritually mature. This is at the very core of what it means to have faith in God, to have faith in His promises, to have faith in His provision. This is at the core of, a, of authentic Christian faith. At verse 13, the writer looks back at all the heroes of faith that he's mentioned so far in chapter 11, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarai, all the rest of them, and this is what he says about them. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. People of faith have the eyes of their hearts set on things that they do not receive in full in this life and in this world. The promises of God point us beyond this life and beyond this world to the life to come, to the world to come. We have a taster. We have an experience of God's presence and His salvation in the here and now. But we enter into the full reality of those things in the life to come. The people of faith in ages gone by, they died in faith, but they greeted those things from afar. It was quite wonderful just recently. I had the opportunity to visit a member of our church family who's now actually gone to be with the Lord in recent days. But, but another of our pastors and I got to see her in the hospital just before visiting was sort of shut down and, and re restricted. And not long before she went to be with the Lord, she was by that stage very weak and very frail. But in the years that I have known her, I've never seen her look quite so peaceful and quite so joyful. She was almost radiant, actually, as we went in. We, we spoke together about the Lord and her experience of knowing the Lord from a young age and serving the Lord all her life. And then we talked about heaven. We talked about the prospect of being in His presence and being reunited there as a people. And the joy that radiated from her as we chatted, it was just palpable. It was quite remarkable. She was, she was there dying in a hospital bed, far too young to die, having been struck down by an aggressive cancer. But her eyes were fixed on the city to come, on Jerusalem above. The eyes of her heart, they were, they were fixed on heaven. And people who think like that and talk like that and live like that, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Seeing with the Eyes of Faith. And we're going to get back to this message from Hebrews chapter 11 in just a moment. Well, we're glad you've tuned in today, and if you want to find out more about this program and about Jonathan, you can always come to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. You can also listen to programs that you may have missed or just listen to them again. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, let's get back to the message. If you are just joining us, we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, looking at verses 8 to 22. Here is Jonathan. 
Some years ago, I was involved in a ministry to young people, kids and teenagers, and many of the kids that we reached through this particular ministry were from a very privileged background, from wealthy families. And I always remember how some of the kids, how some of the leaders, rather, within this ministry used to pray that the Lord in His kindness might spoil the world for these kids. Lord, please spoil the world for so-and-so. That was a very striking prayer to pray, but the spiritual insight behind it I've always felt was very profound. These kids, they got it so good in worldly terms. The best thing that could happen for them would be to fall out of love with this present world, for the, the sheen to be removed, for the perfection to be spoiled in some way. The saints of old, Abraham, Sarah, others, they, they could have turned back to where they had come from. Abraham could have got cold feet and, and, and gone back home to his father's homeland. But verse 16, he, like the others, they desire a, a better country. They desire a heavenly one. One of the ways in which I believe the Lord is using this crisis, one of the things I trust He might do for us, is to spoil the world for us in some ways. Many had wonderful vacation plans. Those are all down the drain now. Many had wonderful stock portfolios two weeks ago. Don't look now, but they're in the ditch. Many had growing businesses, wonderful success, and there's now real concern. None of these losses is a pleasant loss. None of these circumstances is good in and of itself. Some of these circumstances are absolutely dreadful and lamentable. But as we feel these material effects of the crisis, one good outcome of all the carnage may just be this. Maybe just we will fall out of love with this present world. Maybe we will learn to set our sights, the eyes of our hearts on heaven above. I've been thinking often this week of Newton's great hymn, about Zion above. I think it is a hymn for our age. It so resonates with the heart of Abraham here in our passage. Perhaps you know it. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayst smile on all thy foes. Savior, if of Zion's city I through grace a member am, let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Those who see with the eyes of faith, they seek God's homeland. Next, those who see with the eyes of faith, they trust God's life-giving power. The great barrier, really, to all the great promises of God is the barrier of physical frailty and death. 
God promised Abraham and Sarah many descendants, but they, they were past age. God promises all His believing people an eternal future in His heavenly home, but the looming reality of death would seem to deny us that future. Death, it's our main problem as human beings. I, I don't need to tell you that. If we had somehow forgotten that or blocked that reality, we have now been reminded, each and every one of us, death lurks around the corner of our experience and at the gates of our community all the time. That's always true, whether there is a global pandemic or not. And it's so striking, isn't it, how very powerless we are in the face of death. Our healthcare, it is so advanced. Our medical resources, they're so wonderful in a country like ours. We tend to imagine that no illness, no disease, nothing is beyond the healing reach of modern medicine. And yet, the most advanced and wealthy nations in the world, the most capable scientists, the most competent physicians, they have nothing. They have nothing to stem the tide of this pandemic. There's literally nothing at the present time. We saw some quite harrowing news footage this week taken by a, a British journalist who got inside a hospital in Lombardy in, in, in Italy at the invitation of the hospital there. This was one of the most advanced hospitals in Italy in a nation with very good health care, and the harsh reality was this, modern medicine, even the best of it, it was no match for this pandemic, and the scenes were awful. Death is not defeatable by human beings. That's the bottom line, and we are learning that grim truth afresh in these days. But fundamental to the Christian faith, fundamental to our faith, is the belief that God's power is greater than physical frailty. God's power is greater than death itself. Consider Sarah. God promises that she and Abraham will be parents to a very great nation who will bring blessing to the earth. It's a stunning promise. But in physical terms, in human terms, it actually becomes an impossible promise. No child has arrived, and Abraham and Sarah, they're well beyond childbearing age. And so for them to believe that God could keep this promise, ultimately it took a great act of faith. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. If you know the story, you know that Abraham and Sarah had their own wobbles on this. They tried to take matters into their own hands when it looked like God maybe wasn't coming through on the promise. But ultimately, God taught them to trust Him. God taught them ultimately to wait on Him. All His promises for Abraham and for the nation of Israel, they rested on this couple having a child, on them being given a son. And in what has to be called a miracle, God gave this old couple well beyond age. He gave them a son. He gave them Isaac, who would become the conduit to the fulfillment of the promises of God. 
Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, a message called Seeing with the Eyes of Faith, part of a larger series, So Great a Salvation. And when you do come to know Jesus, you begin that relationship with him. The salvation, the free gift of forgiveness that he offers to you, it's absolutely mind-blowing. But maybe you've struggled to grasp what it means to come to Jesus. Well, there's a story that we would love to share with you. It's found in a book called Heaven, How I Got Here, written by Pastor Colin Smith. And it's really the story of the thief on the cross who was crucified next to Jesus, how he came to begin that personal relationship with Jesus, and how you can know him too. A great story for this Good Friday today. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book, Heaven, How I Got Here, the story of the thief on the cross, as you give a gift of any amount this month. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, that's EncounterTheTruth.org or 833-998-7884. Well, thanks for listening today, and I do hope you'll join us next time.